0: Here's your host, Sakar Cowley.
1: Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Sterling Chapman with Crestworth Capital. Uh, thank you for your time, Sterling. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Thanks, Sakar. Thanks for having me. Appreciate I've... being here.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Sterling is with uh, Crestwood Capital. Uh, he's based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he's done, uh, you know, lots of single family. He has started his journey towards multifamily as well uh, with Crestwood capital he has a partner as well so he is um, he has a finance degree and an MBA from LSU and he's currently uh, going on with his journey with the syndication project so uh, we are love uh, have welcome to have you at the show um, uh, Sterling and uh, you want to give us a quick background as to you know sort of your uh, how your journey got started with real estate?
2: Sure. So I, uh, I have an undergrad degree, like you said, from finance and LSU, but I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and I just got recruited into insurance sales out of college. And and I called myself a financial advisor, but really all I did was sold insurance and set up Mm -hmm. these little retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. And and after doing that for a few years, I transitioned into the, the telecom industry where I had a lot of success and shot up the corporate ladder rather quickly Mm -hmm. and um, found myself, you know, making more money than I, than I ever thought I'd make. And I was, uh, I was telling my dad about it. He goes, well, that that's great, but you need to figure out what to do with that money because um, if you make a ton of money and then you don't have anything to show for it, you look dumber than if you didn't make any in the first place. Right. Around that same time uh, my boss who had been with the company for 17 years had uh, lost his job. They just do these corp- corporate America does these restructurings all the time. Sure. And, and they just do layoffs and, and, you know, it, it terrified me. I started to kind of have this vision. I was, I was just in the process of buying my first house and about to get married and start a family. And I just had this vision of myself with like three kids in private school and a mortgage and car notes. And all of a sudden this corporate faucet that I built my entire life around would just turn off on me. And it terrified me. So I was like, "I need to uh figure out something else and mm-hmm. i so I started reading personal finance books, and my wife thought I was crazy at the time because the first book I read was uh, uh what's the the rich real that, no rich no no, up, no right? that was the second one The first huh. book I read was <laughs> <Dave>, you rich <laughs> no it was the the dave um uh, Ramsey book, oh yeah about, mm-hmm. about don't use any debt and don't use credit cards. So sure, sure. I, was preaching, mm-hmm. I was preaching to my wife that week. We're not going to have any credit cards. We're not going to have any debt. And then a week later, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I went back to her. I was like, scratch that. We're going to borrow <laughs> as much money as we can. That's funny. <laughs> she was like, I can't keep up with you. I had, I had read Think and Grow Rich previously. And I, I'd always kind of been in the personal development mm-hmm. And it helped me a tremendous amount with my corporate career and, and moving up the ladder, and with my sales and with my leadership and, and, and with my goal setting. So I've sure. always been a, a large fan of that. But um, so after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I read a bunch of his advisor series on, you know, I think Garrett Sutton's LLC book and sure. mm-hmm. Tom Wheelwright's tax book. And, and then I got into bigger pockets and I, I, I started listening to. I must've listened to 200 episodes and read their mm-hmm. books. And so I studied for about six months and then I bought my first single family house I and uh, I, I put uh 15,000, I think I, I brought 14,000 to the closing table mm-hmm. and then uh, spent a couple grand fixing it up. And, uh, I rented it out for $500 a month more than my note and my insurance and taxes. Interesting. So mm-hmm. it was flow and $500 a month. Um, in theory, I would, it would have been like a forty percent rate of return. But mm-hmm. two weeks into it, I had like a three thousand dollar plumbing disaster that just wiped it all out. But, and then I turned around and I did like the exact. It was like the exact same deal again. I put another fifteen grand down, spent two to five grand fixing it up, and then I, I cash flowed six hundred dollars over my note taxes and insurance
1: interesting yeah. interesting so is that something then you uh, kind of got the taste of the uh, first couple of deals and you said hey this works and i want to kind of keep doing it more and more is that kind of how you then expanded into single family a lot
2: that well so it's funny because a couple things happened at that point one yeah you're right i was like oh this is really cool i need to keep doing this over and over again but the second thing that happened is i was broke because i just spent Oh, you know, sure. yeah. You'd for, your capital.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> I, I just put down $40,000. And I just bought my personal house three months before that. So I see. Mm-hmm. I, I completely wiped out any sure. amount of savings. Mm-hmm. And, and it got to the point where I almost wanted to stop studying and stop reading about real estate because it made me mad that I couldn't go do more deals. And I knew Absolutely. I had to spend like six months to save up another down payment. But I decided to go in a different direction, and I read um, some books on low and no money down investing, mm-hmm. and and then I went and found this was my first kind of taste of, of small multifamily. I went and found two duplexes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were re- one had been flooded, one it was just beaten up by a tenant. But they were next door to one another, and the same people owned both of them. And uh, I think there was a wholesaler who had his like number. Like stapled to the door or something. So sure. I called called him. I got him under contract. Um, I had no idea how I was going to buy him. I surely didn't know how I would fix him up. But I had a friend that flips houses, and he was always like, "Oh man, if you want to buy rentals, let me find a beat up house, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll flip you a rental." And then you you like you were telling me before the program about how once a house is renovated, there's a lot lower maintenance sure. cost, <laughs> lower maintenance mm-hmm. costs. And he was right. And it, it it just that deal. I always say that that it made me, it, it it worked out perfectly. So he had investor capital because he had been flipping houses for years. Mm-hmm. I had two rentals, nobody was gonna lend me any money. I didn't know what I was doing, but mm-hmm. I said, go get money from your investors. Um, actually, the, his investors didn't have enough money either. So I got my brother to l- lend me another 40 grand to cap off finishing the deal. I said, and I, and you renovate it and add me to the title and I'll do a cash out refinance and you can walk away with 50 grand in your pocket. I'll pay all the investors back and I'll just keep the asset. And at the end of the deal, it worked out beautifully. Just like that. Everybody won. The investor got his interest. My buddy that fixed it up and brought the investors to the table, got his 50 grand. My brother got six grand on his 40 for six months. And I got, um, $390,000 $390,000 worth of duplexes, um, that I had $312,000 of debt on, but still. Yeah, got, that was a
1: good spread uh, up
2: between it. Yeah. yeah. I walked away with $78,000 in equity and it was cash flow and $2,000 a month. So very sweet. Very sweet. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really when like the, the spark went off in my head and I started to, to like kind of go, go 90 miles an hour from there. And, and I found some other, I, I, I ran into a, an older gentleman who was, um, he had 1031 his properties forever and mm-hmm. didn't want to sell them outright because he didn't want to take a massive capital gains te- mm-hmm. cut and he didn't really have anything to do with the money anyway. At that point, he just wanted to stop dealing with the maintenance on these old properties and have sure. his retirement supplemented. So he gave me a bunch of properties, um, 10% down, seller financing on a 30-year amortization with a 10-year balloon. Wow, so, that is so, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> So I bought a funny story about one of those properties. One of them was also I had my brother, my brother had some some cash. He didn't know anything about real estate, but he wanted to get involved. So Mm -hmm. I have my primary company that I buy all my stuff in. And then I created a separate LLC where we bought some stuff together. Mm -hmm. And so one of these properties, it was two duplexes right next to each other. And they make up a lot of a certain size. I'm not exactly sure what the size is, but uh, I own one of them and then me and him own one of them together. And I didn't end up putting any money into this deal. It it just the way it's worked out. I I, with between my brother putting down payment and him seller financing most of it. Like I didn't spend any money to get that. Uh, And the, the lot right next door to that uh, just sold, and it's the exact same size as the lot that we have these two duplexes on. Mm-hmm. Just sold for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow! So mm-hmm. we only have, we only have like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in debt in this thing. Wow! So you, effectively, you, I you can have get a get lot. It.
1: Absolutely, you, between <laughs> lot and your house and everything, I think you have yeah. substantially uh, you can gain a lot of value in this.
2: So through the. Through 2019, through these partnerships and creative financing, I, I, I built up enough cash flow. Like I said, the original reason I got involved in this thing was to replace the income from my day job. Not that I didn't like my day job. It was just I was I was afraid they might not like me one day. Mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible. they're They're talking about layoffs right now. I'm going through it again, but I'm not as scared this time mm-hmm. because I built up, you know, Six to seven thousand dollars in cash flow over the last two years, sure so you know if that happens i 'll be okay and that was that was the original point but twenty nineteen ended i'd built up all this cash flow, but i didn 't have a ton of equity, mm-hmm. and I wanted more equity so this year so my my two goals for twenty twenty was to get my first large apartment syndication um under contract, which I'll go over that in a minute. But the other one was to build up my net worth. And I decided to do that through a series of, of burrs. So, um, and that's buy, rent, rehab, refinance. That's, I'm sure that's sure, how you sure, built, sure. built your portfolio as well. But so I bought a house in March, and it took. We were in and out of it in 30 days. Wow! Um, mm-hmm. We bought it for 65 grand. We put 25 into it, so we were all in for 90. It reappraised for 130, and we pulled out 103, and rented it for 400 over the note. Nice. Then I <laughs> then I bought another one that. uh, Bought it for seventy five. We're all in for sixty five. It just appraised for two hundred nine, and I'm pulling out one sixty seven tomorrow. Awesome. And, How are and, you
1: finding these deals? Are these coming from wholesalers or wholesalers?
2: To... They're all coming from wholesale. I'll, all. And then I've got another one under contract that we just started construction on this week. That should be similar. I, I should be able to you get about 70 grand in equity out of the deal and Mm -hmm. cash flow a few hundred more. But, but yeah, all three of those came from three separate wholesalers. Um, And, 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 you know, I've never had to go. I've I've heard a lot of people going knocking on doors and sending mailers and cold calling. And I've always been willing to, but I've, I've never had to because I just built these relationships with these wholesalers and they keep, every time I, every time I'm nearing the end of a deal and I'm ready to go get another, I am like, all right, yes. well, I yeah. guess I'm going to go cold call and knock on doors. <laughs> and it seems like right when I say that all of a sudden one just shows up in my inbox.
1: <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I think once you build relationships, I mean, whether it is, you know, let's say wholesalers or, you know, even uh, good agents for that matter, you, I mean, there's no shortage of deals that's for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, with us, we came to a point where boy, I mean, back in the years, I remember uh, around 2012, 13 era, I remember I would be almost buying 12 to 13, 14 houses a month. And it was absolutely crazy that we would, because they were such good deals, we would buy them and we would still be finishing other projects. And there were times where these... Uh, uh, houses. Well, we were not even touching them for a couple of months because we were still finishing the other projects. So it's it's. I mean, you know, once it's it's one of those that if you get good deals, definitely right. buy them. And even if you can't like really work on them right away, it's not a bad idea to just you know uh, hit a pause button on them for a uh, few months and just quickly go back to them. You know. Yeah. I mean, we we were at a point where we had, I think. Uh, four sets of contractors who are working on all kinds of different deals and uh, that's that is how we scaled up to all the way up to 200 uh, you know all different uh, between houses townhouses and things like that you know <laughs> so good good so sterling moving further like um i know now you're looking into uh, syndications and sure. uh, trying to do larger multi-family uh, projects now right uh, so it us an idea as to uh, what excites you with multifamily uh, and uh, uh, that's probably not as prevalent with single family So uh, give us some sort of uh, pros and cons of why you like one versus the other. perhaps.
2: Sure. So I, and, and I'll, I, I'll elaborate and give you kind of the evolution of how I got there. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so as, as i mentioned, in 2019, I, I was still self-managing everything. I still had a full-time day job. I was um, starting a podcast I had a, a brand new baby and I was just slammed you know taking care of all of that
1: absolutely he wants to be swamped
2: and, and and I was I was you know I was trying to I was like I can't grow anymore like there's not an extra second in my day how can I keep growing right. I, I can't keep doing everything myself so I started like looking for you know other ways to scale and I came across multifamily And initially I kind of liked, you know, shopping in my own backyard, but when I started to look at the numbers and how people started to analyze that, like my backyard was really not the best place. I mean, first of all, uh, I I live in South Louisiana a hurricane could come wipe out my entire portfolio tomorrow. Uh, Mm -hmm. Second of all, uh, the, the, South Louisiana, we're very heavily reliant on the oil industry. We saw what happened with that recently. That could come sure. and, I mean, that could decrease the occupancy of the city by 25% overnight. You know, that, wow. that's mm-hmm. devastating. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. from a diversity standpoint, diversifying my portfolio across, you know, different markets was something that became important to me. Sure. Um, from a time management standpoint, buying assets that could really support their own management um, outside of me was something sure. that became important to me, mm-hmm. and and the the ability to scale so largely uh, was was something that was important to me, and um, I love how how commercial real estate is is appraised is what really got me. So sure, every mm-hmm. I keep doing these houses, and I've. I've Fingers crossed. I've lucked out like every time. I've never had an appraisal come in low, but I don't sleep the night before because I know it's just, you know, what does Jenny down the street think she wants to buy that house for? And it just, it seems so like like uh, feeling or artsy based. Sure. And I'm more of an analytical numbers guy, and I like to know if if I increase the net operating income by this many dollars, it is going to automatically make the value increase by this many dollars. Sure. Mm -hmm. There's a very scientific approach. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, with the with the with the residential uh, appraisal method, it's it's very like I always get subjective and objective mixed up, but it's I don't have as much control over it. Sure. Sure. Depends on the appraiser's mood that day. And I just that seems more like more too much like gambling to me. I I really I really like the mathematical scientific approach to Mm -hmm. uh, the valuation of commercial assets. So, uh, so I, I kicked it off with a Joe, a big Joe Fairless fan. I read his book on apartment syndication, which I'd recommend to, to anybody who's interested And in, and he had uh, mentioned that, you know, building your brand and creating, establishing a thought leadership platform. Sure. So <laughs> I, I started my podcast, the rent and roll radio show, which, uh, has, has done great and it's, it's, it's provided everything that he had promised in the book that it would. Um, the, the the exposure I've gotten to really successful investors has been awesome. So I always joke, you know, some of these guys that I interview charge a thousand like like three thousand dollars an hour for personal coaching sessions. Sure. And here because I got a podcast, I could call them up and ask them whatever Precious. I want for an hour sure, sure. Or, mm-hmm. um, for free. So good, I've really good. enjoyed it. I've I've expanded my network in a huge way. Um, when I, uh, when I started the syndication business, uh, you know, to establish my brand, I created Crestworth Capital and, and I, uh, I started everything on a shoestring. So I built the first website by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that website will be taken down and replaced with the professional website that I just paid to have <laughs> built by the time this episode airs but I, I'm in no way a web designer, <laughs> but I've sure, just sure. gotten on GoDaddy, like, and, and next thing I knew, like, it was, here, click here to add this, click here to add this, and so I built it by myself, and, um, I tried, I tried editing the podcast by myself, that, that was about two days of me screaming before I found an editor for that.
1: Well, that's awesome, I mean, I like the fact, uh, Sterling, that you are pointing out, uh, some things that are you know very real for a lot of newbie investors that you're starting out on a newbie uh, uh, you know pretty much on a, a shoestring budget and you're trying to every foot of the way you are properly bootstrapping and also like, you know, learning a lot, as you said, from Joe Fairless's book, which by the way, I I read that and it, it definitely is an eye opener to a lot of details that perhaps get skipped from time to time. Right. So um, with your podcast, uh, you know, the rent roll radio podcast that you said, uh, Sterling, for newbie investors who may not know, uh, give us some maybe baby steps as to, you know, how you go about setting that up, what type of equipment they need or, you know, what type of editing that they may be looking for. Give us some ideas of how you kind of did those things.
2: So, uh, I, the, the really, you don't need much equipment. So I have a $60 microphone that I bought. Uh, it was the one that Joe Fairless recommended in his book. Um, it's an audio technica I I got on Amazon and I think it was like $68 and it -hmm. came with this little $10 stand Uh, I I, everything else is on my computer so I I use a $20 set of these aren't even Apple headphones these are like some knockoff brand headphones and i got a macbook computer which you don't need a macbook computer and
1: you still record all that there right yeah
2: so i originally bought that i was just i was debating whether to go with a mac or a pc i'd never used a mac before but um i I went back and forth forever and initially my thought process was i was going to edit all this stuff myself and i was going to use all the fancy equipment on the macbook pro but i i quickly learned that that wasn't going to happen. And I found a guy on upwork.com to, uh, I was just looking for other people that, that would edit it. So but, you
1: want to delegate all the work because and, and uh, he, it's just. Hmm.
2: Yeah. And he edits it for me. He also edits my videos and posts them on YouTube. And uh, I think I pay him like, it, it, it ranges by how long the, the audio lasts or the video lasts, but I on average about $75 a week every time I release an episode um and, and but yeah i use podbean um mm-hmm. there's there's plenty of them out there there's a buzz i think i use podbean because my editor recommended it i originally looked at some other uh some other hosting platforms mm. and he goes now for, for
1: folks who, for folks who may not know what podbean is could you maybe describe what podbean is um
2: uh, not not fluently uh it, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a a hosting platform for sure. mm-hmm for podcast they basically store your audio and disperse it out to itunes and
1: so it's a syndication uh distribution type of uh uh, podcasting platform so yeah
2: gotcha gotcha and, and it was i don't know how much it cost but it wasn't a lot i mean it must have been couldn't have been twenty dollars you know i I don't remember the details no that's fine that's
1: fine it wasn't
2: an expensive process
1: right right and then uh moving further uh sterling like um how are you maybe now uh since you're starting to uh, you know on your journey to syndications and things like that give us some first steps as to you know how you are reaching out to different brokers, uh, how you're evaluating different sub-markets and things like that. Initially you pointed some things about, you know, how your native town in Baton Rouge is, you know, let's say heavily oil-based or perhaps a hurricane could, uh, you know, impact you severely, right? So talk about all that as to, you know, how you went through picking out different uh, sub markets that you're trying to evaluate. And now also, uh, obviously you are reaching out to brokers or property management companies and things like that. So give us an entire gamut of things, please.
2: Sure. So um, the first thing that that you need to do is is from what they say is to, to pick out your markets. And when we looked at market analysis, there's a, I think everybody's got a different, a kind of refurbished version of the same thing. Uh, We use Neil Bawa's method, um, Mm -hmm. which is basically the same thing as Joe Fairless's method or Michael Blanc's method. But the key indicators that you want to look at in a market that you're investing in is you want positive population growth. You want to make sure that uh, people are moving there and not moving away. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the first like red X on Louisiana where I live is people are people are leaving the state. So, mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's going to drive down competition, which is going to drive down rent growth, which is going to drive up vacancy. So, um, the next thing you want to look at is job diversity. So you want, you, you know, you mentioned the oil industry and, you know, think Detroit where, you know, it used to be a booming place, but then when the auto industry went down, like, now it's a ghost town and, and, you know, if you have like one major employer in an area and they move or they go out of business, I mean, the entire area could tank and sure, and, sure. and mm-hmm. you could have massive vacancies that you can't overcome. So then the other thing is job growth that goes along with population growth and job sure. diversity. Mm-hmm. You want people to be able to pay rents and you want them to, be mm-hmm. to be able to pay higher rents. Um, also, a decreasing crime rate um, that's, you know that's one of the main factors you look at and then um i'm trying to think it's it's easier if i'm looking at a list of them uh population job growth job diversity You're looking rate, at some household incomes and things me, like that as me, well. medium mm-hmm. medium household income medium household you know uh values and sure. things mm-hmm. like that so w- we analyzed i mean must have been a hundred markets mm-hmm. and the ones I land on that, that I'll, like, ask uh, the ones we landed on that we liked. I actually, I have a partner that I work with Andrew. He is, he is actually, uh, he's out of Utah and he is my, uh, acquisitions director. He has got a strong banking and, and underwriting background and he's got a ton of, of broker relationships and he is an underwriting machine. I don't know how he does it. I mean, we get in two to three deals a day, and he, and by the end of the day, he's got an answer for each one of them. You know, wow <laughs> this capbaret we'll I actually it's funny. I just sent him a uh, email this morning saying, "Hey, if you want to like teach me how you're doing this, then I can, I can underwrite half of them. I feel bad like I feel you're doing a lot of work <laughs> uh,
1: interesting. So, So uh, also, you know, uh, in all this, Sterling, uh, broker relations are important, right? So give us some uh, tidbits for, let's say, initial investors as to how they can, uh, you know, get deals um, and reach out to brokers and things like that.
2: So again, we've utilized a lot of... um, a lot of Andrew's existing broker relationships. We've mm-hmm. also, I've reached out to some brokers and invited them onto my show um, just to give a different perspective from the other side of the table on commercial sure. real estate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we, we've, we, what we initially did was we went on to CoStar and identified the the top brokers in the market because those, mm-hmm. you know, with the highest volume, that's the ones we wanted to be working with. Sure. And we mm-hmm. just, we just reached out to them and explained our criteria and you know a lot of times we also ask for referrals, so uh, i um I get to to interview a lot of really credible guests on my show, so sure. mm-hmm. I ask them for a referral, and when I reach out to a broker and say, "You know John Cohen told me to call, He's like, "Oh man, I work with John all the time. He's a great guy. If you're friends with John, you must be legit, you know? sure." Mm-hmm so um, that's nice to
1: know. that's nice to know so um w- which states are currently or which submarkets you are liking uh, right now sterling that you are focused on
2: yeah so w- our initial our initial um market evaluation led us to somewhere between lexington and louisville kentucky okay although mm-hmm. we're we're rethinking that market at the at right now just based on some some crime um and then we really liked Huntsville, Alabama, and Jacksonville, Mississippi, and, okay. and 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 no market's perfect. You know, they all have their unique challenges. Jacksonville is like super competitive, and you know, Huntsville's hard to get to, and so we're, we're kind of reevaluating. We're looking at, at at different markets, but we. My Andrew loves uh, Alabama because of the low taxes. He said it's just easier when he's underwriting to get the numbers. We (laughs) we started in Texas, but he said the high taxes were killing all of our deals. I see. Gotcha. Uh, Gotcha. um,
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So now uh, I wish you luck with the journey. I know I think sometimes getting the first one and then moving on and, you know, it gets easier and easier Uh, for newer investors. I know you uh, you said, uh, by the way, all all. all the viewers should listen to his podcast called rent roll radio show um, i have i have seen a few of your uh, episodes very very good guests and you know good editing and uh, truly uh, i enjoyed the shows actually sterling so it, it's, it was a it was a pleasure to you know kind of listen to those episodes as well so now moving on sterling um how 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 do how are you attracting investors? So like, for example, if there is a new uh, person listening to this podcast, what would be your advice to those uh, sort of newbies that how they can, you know, uh, thought leadership platform would be one. But uh, uh, how about if they want to, you know, raise more money or get more investors beyond their uh, sort of circle of, let's say, friends and family, what would be some strategies you can advise them?
2: so i don't i don't know that there's some strategies i could advise uh, uh, outside of that um i've i've seen a lot i've seen these click funnels these aggressive marketing campaigns you know I, i'm i'm I, I just paid somebody to redo my website with an investor portal of you know to attract investors and stuff but i think what it would it really comes down to you know, a lot of my projects that I I work on locally, I do with investor capital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first started, nobody wanted, nobody even considered giving me money. And now I can't find enough deals to support all the people that want to invest with me. And, and I would say, you know, one thing that, that really, I think people overlook and, and hopefully, um, nobody listening to this show falls in that category, but I see some people trying to raise money and I go look at their Facebook page and they've got some obscene comments on there, or they've got (laughs) some really radical political views one way or another. Just, and I'm thinking like, you know, if you, you got to really, really watch your brand and reputation. Absolutely. Every interaction. And you know, another thing I, I see sometimes is when you're doing a deal with somebody it's not always the best, like getting every penny out of the deal or the negotiation is not always the best thing for your long-term business growth. Absolutely. Some, sometimes I I have a tendency to pay people more than they ask for, or to give up more of the deal, you know, because I think the goodwill is worth more to me than the, couple grand. You know?
1: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And we see these a lot in sort of the contractor relationships as well. In fact, I mean, I'm sure you have run into where I think don't make a big deal of the little things. I mean, right. learn to like just kind of uh, treat it as like a speed breaker of sorts that if the contractor or is the work is good, you know, just work it out and look for the long haul. I couldn't agree more there, you know? Yeah. So, Good, good, awesome, awesome so um uh, other than that, like uh what sort of like some of the best advice you have gotten from all the different podcasts or different investors that you may have met? uh give us some tidbits as to you know what best advice you have received so far from others
2: i mean there's there's way too much to go over on this show. It's hard to pick, but uh sure. so mm-hmm. I'll just. I'll say one that I like from a, a very recent interview I did with Jay Scott mm-hmm. and I, the interview hadn't even been released yet because mm-hmm. we're, we're backlogged for a few months. But he, you know, I've always been a buy and hold investor. I've never sold anything. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm to the point now where especially when I'm trying to transition to these large multifamily syndications, I'm like, Oh man, if I sold a couple of these properties and I'd have a down payment, or maybe I could invest passively in somebody else's deal to learn more, get more creative or something. So I was really struggling with the whole, like, never sell anything, keep building your portfolio concept. Mm -hmm. And when I interviewed Jay and asked him what his best advice was, and Jay Scott, for those of you who don't know, he, he wrote the book on flipping houses. Sure. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's a huge bigger pockets contributor. He wrote several other books as well that are great recession proof real estate investing. And and the book on estimating rehab costs, but the guy who wrote the book on flipping houses said that he regrets selling every house he's ever sold <laughs> so, <laughs> that made me feel a lot better about holding right. on to everything just because you know the beautiful thing about real estate is long term wealth growth you know you're paying sure. down your debt it's appreciating you know what I mean the cash flow coming off of it. You can sell something for a quick fifty grand, but if you just sit tight you know, it'll make you several hundred grand.
1: Sure, sure, sure. And I I also like to, you know, sometimes uh, compare contrast that also by saying is that uh, some people play the game of, okay, hey, you know, refinance it every few years and things like that, right? Sometimes, you know, okay, you do need cash to get out of a bind and things like that. I I get that part. But the more uh, you keep on doing it, that's where it sort of t- starts to counteract against you because, you know, you're increasing your leverage. You're never really paying that down and things like that. So you kind of are starting to negate the long-term benefits as well. Like personally for us, I mean, once we, uh, you know, acquire them and kind of, let's say, uh, refinance it out like one time and have a long-term debt, we never tend to, uh, you know, refinance them afterward. You know, we'll, we'll, I mean, we are at a point where I think all of our loans are like less than 50% of, you know, when we financed them before. So, you know, like given the uh, long-term sort of track record we have within our portfolio, we see those benefits as well that, Hey, the debts is paid down, and you know the uh, the quality of properties is great, and it's been you know going on and on. So, just wanted to share that. So, good, good. Thank you. I appreciate your time, Sterling. Um, tell our viewers how they can reach you and learn more about you.
2: Sure. So um, they can find me a lot of places. So uh, you can email me at sterling at uh, you could call me at 225-247-5562. I love talking to investors. I love talking real estate and all of my friends and family are sick of it. So anybody's <laughs> just starting out that wants advice or, or, or just to talk something through, don't feel like you're bothering me. would love to hear from you. Um, or you can go visit our website at uh, CrestworthCapital.com or you know check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Rent Roll Radio and download our podcast, The Rent Roll Radio Show.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Sterling. I'm, and I look forward to speaking with you, uh, you know, uh, hopefully in next year or so. And hopefully you have some more deals. We we'll can. talk
2: before then because I got to get you on my show.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to Premium Cash Flow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.